wilding out. She starts gambling. She starts being a little promiscuous or whatever. And, um, you know, how do you solve a problem like Sada? You <laughs> send her to a geisha house. Sure. And I think what happened there is. <laughs> That's a totally different film. <laughs> a very different film. This is a Main Hustle Media Podcast. Virtual Reality Studios. A new realm of creativity. And welcome to Matcha, Masala and Murder, a weekly true crime podcast. Uh, we are your co-hosts. I am Ria Mayakor and I you am are... Charmaine Fury, your sir auntie. Welcome to the show and thanks for joining us. We are back with our second episode post-festive break, second episode of 2024 uh, we've got our feet well and truly under the table. So thanks again for joining us. And this week, Charmaine will be telling us a tale of murder and murder, murder most horrid. It is. It is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> Yay, so exciting. I love a gory one. Um, and before we get into all of that, uh, I thought that I would give you a couple of recommendations. I'm going to call this Rear Recommends because we love alliteration around these oh, parts. Yes. <laughs> so what else can I do? So two things. Now, the first thing is this here book, The Most Bizarre True Crime Stories Ever Told by Jack Ooh. Rosewood, which was gifted to me at Christmas time, which is an awesome gift. And um, it's not very, you know, it's not huge. So it's a really nice quick read and it's very big, which is lovely. And I can tell you that this will give you crimes from Germany, the USA, Indonesia, and two from Japan which oh, I nice. thought was interesting and and Canada and you know there's a there's a few from the US and there's a couple that I did know and most of them I didn't know so I was, oh, that, thought that was a really good thing so if anybody's interested uh that is this book the most bizarre true crime stories ever told by Jack Rosewood and I'm sure nice. you can get it and all good book retailers um so yeah uh, I maybe we'll even through. put it up on an affiliate link or something on our buy buy me a coffee page oh, and then people could buy it and we could get a little bit of change for it yes never mind all good book retailers <laughs> buy it through us we are the best retailer to purchase I'll, through us. <laughs> I'll set it up tonight <laughs> um imagine if we talked about this beforehand and had that plan seamlessly <laughs> Um, but uh, yeah, so you might enjoy this book anyway. So these won't be stories I don't think that we'll be telling on the podcast. Mm. So uh, I thought, you know, you can get your teeth into some extras if you just can't get enough of the true crime. Speaking yeah. of which, if you just can't get enough of the true crime, this is a story that would probably have featured on this podcast if it weren't quite so well known now. There mm. is a new Netflix documentary, Curry and Cyanide. I haven't started it yet, but I've been. Um, it's on my list. Okay. Yes, of course. I knew it would be on your radar. So it is one um, that is set in India, in Kerala, and um, it is about Jolly Joseph, who most likely, but it's still alleged at this point, murdered six people using cyanide in the curry that she was making. 
for her family. Mm. So um, this is not really a spoiler because this is all really freely available, even if you yeah. just watch the trailer to the documentary. So six murders, her mother-in-law, her father-in-law, her husband, uh, the family, the um, in-law, an uncle on her husband's side. Sorry. Okay. Um, a baby, which is really sad. And the mother of that baby. Um, okay. And the trial is ongoing. Uh, she did this over a huge period of time. So there was six years between the first two murders, then four years, mm. then two, then two, and then it got a bit closer together at the end. Mm. Um, so like, why are so many people dying by cyanide in this circle? Well, at the time, they didn't really know about the cyanide and they weren't really doing post-mortems because they all died in sort of ways that weren't really, oh, it's suspicious there's another death in this family, but we won't really uh, look into so... it too far. Mm. Um, but they did exhume the bodies for the purposes of the trial and everything. So it is a really interesting one. Obviously, it's on my radar because it's in India and sure. it's called Curry and Cyanide. So that's a cool title. Um, and so I probably would have talked about it at some point just in passing mm -hmm. because I think it's so famous now, this case, because it's pretty recent as well. You know, the trial is currently and happening right now. So maybe we tease we do little things from occasion like a modern one that's well known but yeah this is our perspective of it like yeah yeah absolutely there, i think yeah. there's room for different perspectives on a lot of these aren't there um and so but i just thought i would mention the documentary it's on netflix it's like an hour and a half it's a good one it's it's pretty good it's pretty well made um mm -hmm. i enjoyed it um so that is something for you if you like I said, you just can't get enough of the true crime, <laughs> then make sure you listen to every one of our episodes, because what are you even Obviously. doing with your life if you haven't done that yet? Um, don't go to work. Don't, 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 do, to work. don't do anything you have to do. Just listen to true crime yeah. podcasts. And we talk a lot, so we'll fill your time. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> um, so those are my rear recommends, which I really wish I had a theme tune to, so mental we'll note to, <laughs> to make that up. <laughs> You know um, we will. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> That's very much on brand for us to do that. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. Have you got any mug chat? I've got a bit I of mug do. chat, I think. Um, I've got this mug, which I think is cool and quirky with this little cool handle, funny shape. Nice. So it's got um, peacocks. Yeah, it is cool. a national bird of India. So, you know, it's on brand. Mm -hmm. um, this is a William Morris cup. So he was... Um, He's uh, like a really famous designer from the arts and crafts period in mm. uh, UK history. But he this I'm going to absolutely bastardize the quote. But he's the guy okay. who said, don't have anything in your house that you now only have things in your house that you know to be useful or believe to be beautiful. Mm. So uh, that was his kind of way of living because um, he liked a lot of decorative and ornamental things. So Very that's ornamental, what I'm yeah. going with. Nope. Um, uh, this is yet another panda mug <laughs> because I've now become so obsessed. I, even though I've been packing up all my stuff, mm. I had to go to the dentist last week and on my way home for some reason, even though I was in tremendous pain, I was like, I'm going to stop off and get some double pointed needles to finish this hat I was making. Yes. And the place I stop off at is also the same place that has an ice cream place that I really enjoy oh. and the shop that I got that mug from last time. Mm -hmm. And they had this and it's just, it just says pan pan because the character is a panda. So it's got little panda faces, but look Cute. at his handle. Oh, it's that's nice. Slightly, it's nice because I have more mm. room for I can do the three finger. Uh, oh, that more. is nice. So now this mug has got a weird handle, right? This is mm -hmm. a, this looks a bit odd, 
but I quite like it because it allows me to do my favorite thing, which is a bit weird, which is where I always put my little finger to balance oh, okay. um, on the good, edge, yeah. which is really, which is because I've got um, this weird problem with, with my joints, but this helps me to balance things. Um, oh, nice. So yeah, nice. that's, it's just a little bit fun. mug handle chat. Wow, we mug got even more chat. We didn't even we we've, we've gone. To the, I forgot to even show. This has a little biscuit um, oh. lid. Oh, well, I suppose I it could also be a coaster, well, coaster, but I view it as a biscuit lid. Multifunctional. You know. Eat the biscuits and then use it as a coaster. And then use it as a coaster, right? Yeah. So good. Uh, so I love I that. And and of course, it's a it's his little panda face. With yeah, his panda ears, very, so. and he's winking, which is very cute. It's like very it. cute. So um, <laughs> even though I shouldn't be buying anything else <laughs> uh, sure. because I'm packing and moving, uh, I, you know, comfort mugs are going to be a whole ass thing. Yeah. And as definitely. I had said earlier, before everything happened, um, uh, when we moved to Mexico, my husband and I had to make some hard cuts and he always has wanted me to cut my mug collection. And so I negotiated down to six. Yeah. Was, six was the only amount of mugs I ended up keeping and bringing mm -hmm. with me to Mexico. And and the rest weren't in storage. They were just not brought. They were given away, um, which days will pop up and I'll be like, fuck, I miss oh. this mug. You know, like I'll Yay. think like this is a mug I would wear, <laughs> I would use yeah. today. Um, and, you know, it was one of our little points of contention about how much of a collector I am and a pack rat I am and stuff. And mm. that's partially a Japanese issue and partially a <laughs> um, family issue. Mm -hmm. So now that he's gone, uh, yes, I will be. I won't be getting every mug I want. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I think you wrote that to me and I was like, yes, mug life. Yeah, I'm like, That's I'm about that mug about. life. And um, every time I get one, I will have a silent conversation with him in my head. It was like, you're not here, so mugs. <laughs> um, so that's what happened. So we here. actually, yeah, we both have had, um, we've had trips to the dentist to start us off in yes. the new year, to finish off the old year and start the new year. And we, the new one year, of those, yes. Another one of those really weird crossovers of things that we've got happening to us um we've both had a lot of dental issues mm. um which is just stressful um but uh so i hopefully i'm gonna touch wood and say hopefully i'm done now for a, a while but okay. you've still got a little bit to go haven't you before you tonight i have to go again um yeah. i have to get crowns for the root canals that i've had um i've been to the dentist six times since december Wow. Fifth. Um, I think my morning period has exacerbated some pain that I was mm. kind of ignoring. And mm -hmm. so when I got to the dentist, she was like, and this is a problem, and this is a problem, and this is yeah. a problem. Oh um, so yeah, I, I'll be getting at least one crown today, if not two, and okay. then measuring for the root canal I had last week, measuring for oh, the crown. Right. So I, I think I have at least two more appointments, but we'll see. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Okay, well the end is nigh, hopefully. Is, yeah, then. hopefully. And mm -hmm. I want to get it all done in Mexico because first of all, it's more affordable in in mm -hmm. the amount of trips and what I've had done, I'm still mm -hmm. under easily under like 700 US for three root canals, wow. three crowns. Whoa. I've had replacement fillings, like broken fillings that need to be mm -hmm. pulled out and put back in, you know, new ones mm -hmm. put back in. And in the U.S., one of those would have cost me twenty five hundred dollars. You know, just oh one God. thing, yeah. not all of them. So, 
so that's the other part is I'm trying to get it all done, even though mm -hmm. like for two months, a yeah. month and a half now, my mouth has just been in constant. <laughs> so but, we've got in the UK, we do have, we don't any longer have um, free dentistry and mm -hmm. there is NHS dentistry, but it has much reduced costs. So certain, mm -hmm. there are different bands of charges, which they can charge you um, uh, for different things. Um, but it's really hard to get an NHS dentist because they're oversubscribed and there's too many people. So there are a lot of Fair. people who just have to pay for private dentistry, which is like a thousand pounds for a root canal or something like that. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's really oversubscribed. It's really difficult. Children get free dentistry. Like my son gets completely free everything. Mm. Um, but if you can get an NHS dentist, that is, even if you're a child, because you're not guaranteed to be registered with an NHS dentist. Oh, so we've okay. got issues with that. Um, but in actual fact, um, because my thing involved some some small surgery, I got that done at the hospital. And then because it's surgical, it's free because it's you medical, know, um, yeah, medical nice. kind of thing. Yeah. So because I was having the MRIs and all sorts of yeah. is there something evil lurking in your brain? There were all kinds of scary bits happening, but we're all good. As yeah, I said, excellent. my husband tumor free since eighty three, baby. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> And that's the way we'd like to keep it, please. <laughs> keep it. Please do. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, that's one of the things I'm dreading about having to return to the U.S. is that suddenly medical yeah. care will be um, terrible again and I yeah. won't have insurance and all that other kind yeah. of stuff. And uh, so it's the effort of like getting my stuff organized and together fast enough and hopefully get my, if not my citizenship um, sorted my at least a residency visa of some sort so I can get the hail yeah. out as fast as possible, um, which I know will take at least a year. But um, yeah, I mean, the other part is just like, I always live in the future, <laughs> I always <laughs> live in the future. And so um, now that I know my situation has to change, I'm mm. already living in the UK mentally. Okay. Yeah. Even though yeah. I have this whole section of time that I have to be in the US. Yeah. In this case, I'm bypassing that I'm going to be living <laughs> in the U.S. at all. And I'm just I'm already in the U.K. I'm like fantasy buying houses and shit like that. Like, I don't even have the money squared away yet to even be doing this. Mm. Um, I'm like, maybe I'll live in a houseboat. Maybe I'll live in a, a flat. Maybe I'll do like I'm doing yeah. all of that. So I'm just um, uh, and it, it's it's also just the distraction of it, too, because it, it's still very yeah. silent here. And where I'm, I'm going, excited. So. I want to come house hunting with you. <laughs> I, you know, it's part of my trip. So, you know, I'm coming to the UK mm. at least in September because of CrimeCon. I, I actually bought my CrimeCon ticket ahead of Tristan, like a day ahead of Tristan yeah, dying. Yeah. Um, so I know I'm coming. You know, there's that bit. I, it's a question of like, will I stay like a couple of weeks or will I stay, you know, or something or maybe a yeah. month um, to try to look around and sort mm. some stuff if I can or whatever. Um, and uh, And so, yeah, I think part of that trip will be a little bit you know, because I'll know more of what mm -hmm. I'm capable of than um, part of that trip could potentially be house hunting and mm -hmm. stuff. And, you know, it's it's, a, it's purely coincidence, not stalkerness. It's purely coincidence that I want to live in this relatively the same area that you <laughs> happen to live in. And the reason why is because I have fond memories of a time that I stayed in Kingston upon the Thames. Mm -hmm. um, and so, like, literally, that's it. Like, there's <laughs> no other thing to it. And so actually maybe found, this podcast can come to your ears one day without an ocean in between. Without an ocean between us. And we might like actually be in the same space. Who knows? Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Actually, Are we ready to do this? I think we're ready to do this.
he's ready. Shall I be mother? I've already alluded to it a little, but today we're going back to Nippon, aka Japan. <laughs> <laughs> which we we blame the Portuguese for why we call it Japan instead of Nippon because um, evidently that's what it sounded like to them so they called it a version of yeah like, is that why yeah 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 okay yeah. so well Japan okay so it's also tough to say like Japan because mm -hmm. officially Japan as a country comes like later in the 1800s versus sure. like the historical Japan which is known historically as Nippon mm -hmm. and the um or Nihon they're depending on different times and shit like that whatever uh but yeah the Portuguese when they showed up and tried to colonize they kept referring to it as like Japones, Japonasa, Japonesa, Japonaso you know like different variations of that until that's yeah it ended up becoming Japan but we're oh, heading back to <laughs> <laughs> yeah thanks colonization i mean to be fair japan held out and wasn't officially officially colonized and they they remained an isolationist country for many many years um but you know the dutch got in there the uh portuguese got in there and you know they started the industrialization of japan yada 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 japan is one of the quickest industrialized nations on the planet because of Western influence and yeah. And now they, now they literally call themselves Japanese, which is amazing because the vowel sounds and the consonant sounds aren't the same. So it yeah. doesn't sound like Japanese and yet they're like Japanese. Um, okay. But if you are a Japanese person, you would refer to yourself as Nihonjin, a Japanese person. I am okay. a a quarter Japanese and stuff. So, um, yes. Anyways, we're going back to my quarter, quarter homeland of Japan for it's such a confusing story because on the face of it, it's awful. <laughs> on the face of it, it's fucking awful. But between a combination, which I will do it again, just like I did last time we went to Japan, of cultural context things mm -hmm. and the celebrification of a murderer, mm. with the combination of these things, you forget you're dealing with like a super grotesque situation. Okay. Like, you know, like super grotesque situation. It's, it's bizarre. In this story, and I'm just saying this up front, even though I don't necessarily want to spoil it, but, you know, in case people are sensitive to certain things, this yes. story will include sex, murder, of course. mutilation, mm. and necrophilia. Okay, we went there. Okay. We're going there. Okay. Um, this story is one of the most famous Japanese murder stories of um, the 1900s, the early 1900s. It is something that has penetrated all forms of uh, pop culture, manga, anime, movies, books, okay. story. Like, all, like you're going to hear the story and you're going to be like, I know this story, but you don't know the story. You know these the stories it influenced essentially oh, yeah well i mean unless you know the story because that's possible <laughs> sure <laughs> um but like it's it's the same thing it was like it was one of those things that like while i was 
when I stumbled upon it and as I was reading through all the different literature about it, I was like, I fucking know this story. Mm-hmm. But I didn't. It was like I was remembering stuff that I watched as a kid and mm. you know, which I probably shouldn't have. <laughs> um, so I said it to you offline, but like this is one of those things that kind of get categorized as sort of what the fuck Japan, which is a very common <laughs> thing that happens whenever you're just like, how is this culture and these people that are like known for these stereotypical like mm-hmm. demureness and all this other kind of stuff or whatever? Like, how is this a thing? Yeah. Um, and with Japan, you're dealing with a, a culture that is like in a different way than like a puritanical Western society. It's super, super oppressed. And at Mm -hmm. the same time, just an explosion of like sexuality and kink and all kinds of stuff. But it's like half hidden and half not, you know? Yeah. And it can like, it can be really explicit and socially sanctioned. Yeah. Turn the dial one notch and suddenly it's like, you're on the other side of things. Yeah. And that is kind of what we're going to be getting into today. I mean, that's really fascinating. I mean, and there are loads of... Uh, documentaries and stuff you know that I've watched over the years because I do find it quite fascinating that the way it obviously because I've I've never been there so you know Mm -hmm. it's it's definitely um, and even like even as a as a mixed Japanese person like some of the stuff when especially when I'm hearing Westerners tell this story because I have Uh I've I've listened to podcasts I've seen these things whatever you know some of it my eye rolls because it's just like the lack of intentional research and understanding and cultural yeah. context that like Westerners have. And you know what I'm saying when I'm saying Westerners, right? I'm, I'm speaking in code. Sure, um, like the, the way they tell the story is just like the otherness and the exotification and the, you know, erotification yeah. of an other. And, um, and then throwing in elements that I'm going to share about this, that, that mm. I would even say, like, I'm not here to kink shame. Mm. And yet just because a murder happened, yeah. It doesn't actually change that the kink is sanctionable to a degree as long as you're being safe, you know. Mm. Um, but every every person I've heard tell this story has made this be like a psychological problem that people okay. need to go get help if they have this kink. And so I just want to put it up forward, sex positive, no kink shaming. That being said, there's some kinks that are dangerous if you're not careful. And I think that's what we get. I think that's what we're getting into. And some that are crimes. So always be and sure. Some that to are like literally crimes. Right, yeah. of what you're up to, please. There is that also. <laughs> with like, with shaming, enthusiastic consent. <laughs> yes. Um, kink shaming is only okay if it's completely illegal across the board and yeah. there's no cultural relativism at play in some way. Thank you. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, so yes, like I said, we're getting we're getting a little bit naughty on this episode, and mm-hmm. we are covering um, the murderess. And I'm going to say it the Japanese direction first, and then I'll mm-hmm. say it the way Westerners hear it. Abe Sada. Abe is their surname. Sada is her first name. Uh, Sada Abe was, I think, kind of misnamed in the press after her case started. She's known as the killer geisha. And that's only part of her life. And and in when you hear me say geisha, what you're imagining and what she was as a geisha are two different things. Sure. So I'm gonna yeah. get into a little bit of the of the culture of, of, of that too. Uh, but Sada is um a woman that was born out of tragedy 
different things led to what ultimately made her kill the person that she ends up killing. But up until then, you know, she's just a regular ass person, you know, a woman in a time where women didn't have that many rights and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so she, she had to go with the flow that was given to her, which led her to her thing. And I'm not saying this to justify what she's doing. I'm just laying, laying it in place of like, history is not kind to women a lot of the times. And a lot of what brought her to the murder she committed has a lot to do with that. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Sada was born in 1905. She was the seventh of eight children to her family, okay. uh, but the fourth of the children who survived. So she's oh, um, yeah. so eight children were born. Four actually survived childhood. She was the youngest of those of those four. Mm-hmm. Uh, her family were tatame mat makers, so they were upper middle class people, um, and they were uh, respected in their community and everything like that. Um, The only bad thing in quotes that would be said about um, their family or the father anyway, would be that he, he had a slight bit of arrogance and a predilection towards nicer things than he deserved, you know, like um, social, social class wise. Uh, So he was, you know, he was probably a bit of a dick to people and thought (laughs) highly of himself, but People respected him. They loved his work, all that other kind of stuff. Uh, the wife was known or the mother was known to be just, you know, a doting parent, a kind, a kind person or whatever. But they were a real, a well-respected tatami mat family. And mm-hmm. and that was very common back in the days that you would, whatever your family business was, you would, you would inherit it. So it's a combination of things. Um, depending on what time period and depending on what the thing is mm. the first child the first son usually has to stamp off and go into the world and create their their own thing right. the second child sometimes inherits the family business okay um and and you know a lot of times the 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 eldest son does the same thing that the father did mm. but they would do things else i think her father's name is shigeru no not shigeru shigeyoshi um shigeyoshi was like adopted into this a tatami mat family. Okay. Um, and I think it's probably the case that they just didn't have a son. Mm. And so they, that would happen too. you'd get, you, you, you'd apprentice somewhere and then you become an adopted child. And then he eventually inherited the family business. And so okay. the, he is Abe by adoption mm-hmm. and by like family business. So the Abe's were really well off, but the children turned out to be a damn fucking nightmare. <laughs> the, <laughs> the oldest son who I believe his name was uh, Shintaro. Uh, he was a womanizer, world-class warm, romanize, womanizer. Okay. And after his marriage, he ran away from his family, stealing a bunch of their money and just vanished into the distance, into okay. the world. Um, the other two children were daughters and, mm-hmm. um, one of them was promiscuous maybe or mistreated and therefore got thrown into promiscuity. And so her parents ended up selling her to a brothel as punishment, which at the time was a very common thing that families would do to their daughters. Um, And if you were upper middle class or above, you could, you could sell your daughter temporarily to a brothel so that they would have um, punishment for their promiscuity, which, mm. um, okay. Um, yeah. you know, like, I don't want you to be fucking around. So I'm going to send you to a brothel so that you can fuck around, Yeah, sure. you know, by law, I guess. And then, you know, you'll come back home mm-hmm. and we'll get you married. 
And so the oldest daughter was able to come back after she did, you know, her penance, okay. essentially. Um, and she was able to still marry at, at her class level and everything like that. It wasn't actually. And that, would, would it be known to the, to her potential mm -hmm. husband that that's where she'd been yeah. and that was acceptable? That was okay? Yeah, it wasn't a deterrent. Now, had 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 it been a lower class family, that would have mm. been a deterrent. So like the, right. the hierarchical okay. societal lines are definitely drawn there. Yeah. In their case, they were high enough that it wasn't an actually a deterrent. And okay. in some cases, some husbands were OK with it because it meant that if they their wives would be more skilled, sure. potentially sure. in practice makes perfect. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> there's not much about the other daughter, except that she is at one point quoted to say that um, that Sada was ex uh, like obsessed with Geisha and wanted to be a Geisha. But there's questions as to whether or not that is actually true. Mm. Because the older children were wild, the parents, uh, the mother really doted on um, on Sada. And so they allowed her to take singing lessons and art class lessons and she also learned how to play the shamisen which is like a, a three string plucking guitar like or banjo like um mm -hmm. um thing it's a sound you'll you will have definitely heard before if you've ever seen like a movie in japan or something like that it's a yeah and it's a very common instrument that usually typically only geisha play um okay. and so it's an unusual thing that they allowed her to take lessons um at that you know, as, as her childhood, but that is kind of why people think she was obsessed with geisha. Mm. Um, she would say otherwise, but it's whatever, you know, it's like, it's, it's whatever the thing is. Um, and when she was, so her parents let her do all that. And they also let her run the streets with her friends um, because they're like, you're our sweet child. Nothing's going to happen, but these bastards, I got to get you away from their influence. So they allowed her to hang out out in public at like 13, 14 years old, which would be, you know, not typical, but they thought they were shading her from the problematic older children. However, uh, in one of these little friendship hangouts or whatever, it was a mix of kids her age and, you know, boys that are actually quite a bit older, in some case, college age. And she ended up being essayed by one of the boy. Well, I'll say man, because he was, he was over, um, he was in college, so he was around 22, 23, and she was around 14. Um, this sent her on a spiral because, of course, we didn't have strong mental health facilities back in those days and things like that. And they essentially thought she was being wild after this, which, you know, she's any acting out she's doing is born out of the trauma. Because while the while the parents approached him and his family and said, you have to marry her because mm -hmm. you raped her, which would have yeah. been very common back in those days as well. Um, that family was slightly upper scale from the Tatami Matt family. And so they're like, we're not stepping down. Okay. So they didn't deny mm. that he attacked her or anything like mm. that. They just said that she wasn't good enough for him. And so, um, as, so no harm, no foul type of thing. He moves on with his life. He doesn't get prosecuted. It's not a thing. He just goes on about right. his business. But she ends up having to deal with like the mental health aspects of, of what yeah. happened to her and everything like that. So she does start wiling out. She starts gambling. She starts being a little promiscuous or whatever. And, um, you know, how do you solve a problem like Sada? You <laughs> send her to a geisha house. Sure. And I think what happened there is. <laughs> That's a totally different film. <laughs> <laughs> Very different film. Um, uh, they ended up, I think maybe 
feeling bad about the level of punishment of the brothel with the older sister, they decided to actually put Sada in a geisha house. And so they found okay. one in a Yokohama, which is outside of Tokyo, south of Tokyo, um, that would be willing to take her, even though she didn't train as a geisha as a child. So you uh, to enter into geisha hood, you have to enter as a child. Um, it's a rigorous training. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, only the best geisha get to be in the higher houses and in the lower houses that's where their the, the dirtiness stuff you know kind of okay. happens the with the treatment of the girls and everything like that so western society has geisha entirely wrong and they are always mm -hmm. considered prostitutes or sex workers which is not actually the case um there are different tiers of geisha of course but mm -hmm. um when people are thinking about them as sex workers what they're actually thinking about is the oran and these are the highest mm -hmm. level uh, they're trained similarly to geisha, but there are different, uh, totally different things. The same okay. um, arts, the 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 shamisen, the singing, the art of conversation, but they're also trained in the art of seduction. And they're they're high ranking people, and they will only be with high ranking, um, you know, samurai in the old days or the richest, the highest politicians, things like that, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they would be courtesans to those mm. high ranking people. They would be um, kept put up in homes, you know, all that kind of stuff, but they would have a fairly independent life outside of you can only have relations with the person who has paid for you. Mm -hmm. um, and then some of the more famous Oren could be, they could have a few people who oh, okay. supported them, but yeah. it's, but they have to be super upscale and it, it has to be a whole thing. But right. a geisha, just as far as garden run geisha, um, are only people that are skilled in these arts. And actually the word geisha does mean art person. <laughs> so it's just a person skilled in these very specific arts, which is like the tea ceremony, the, the shamisen, the singing, the dancing, yeah. uh, and, and conversation. They're trained on how to speak about politics and cultural relevant things, um, business and stuff like that, so that the men can be stimulated. In a lot of cases, and in most mm. cases, sex is not on the table unless they're willing to uh, pay a fee to the geisha house and a fee to the geisha that would mm. separate, just like an Oren, separate them from the right. house itself. And um, and they would be a kept person at that point. Um, okay. Only, But again, the better, the more talented, the higher ranking could make that decision for herself. Mm. But she didn't ever have to because she mm. could still make a living and be mm. fairly independent as a conversationalist and artist and stuff like that without having to, to have sex. That being said, there are lower end geisha houses where the least talented girls, or like in Sada's case, a person that came into it well into 17 years old, she's way too old um, in like in the way that Jedi won't be um, <laughs> trained unless they were children. Uh, same type of thing. Like she, mm -hmm. she was never, she was never a Padawan. <laughs> she was never going to be a, a proper Padawan. Uh, so she, you know, in, in the geisha system, when you're, when you're, when you're sold or brought to a geisha house, you're adopted by an older sister. And that okay. geisha would be responsible for a, a, a lot of your training. And then the house itself would be responsible for a lot of your training as well. Right. But you were sort of like, inherent you would inherit a reputation based off of the geisha that adopted you and Sada oh, didn't have yeah. an experience like that mm -hmm. and so she did end up getting kind of pushed to the rungs that would make her a quote geisha that was also a sex worker okay. um 
So she she might dress like a geisha. She might have geisha makeup and things like that or whatever. Um, and she would perform dance and singing and things like that. But her not having the same training, um, she's not going to be sought after. She's going to be usually put with somebody who's just wandered in or something like that. And ultimately, sex work becomes a part of that. Um, and she wasn't having a good time. You know, and she was also a bit of a troublemaker. She would steal from clients and things like that. So she eventually got booted out of the house. Uh, she returns back home and this sets off a series of things like this. Um, OK, mm. we're going to make you be a maid now. OK, so now she's a maid. When she steals, they boot her out. Now we're going to put you in a restaurant and she she gets bored because she's apprenticing at a restaurant. So she starts to steal and <laughs> she gets booted out. <laughs> um, and so she ends up in a situation where she just decides, okay, fine, I'll just do the sex work stuff. And so she she ends up in a brothel where in this time in Japan, um, to be a sex worker, you had to be registered. So it was, it was completely legal, um, but you were registered because they could care for your health and things like that if you, if you end up contracting something. Um, and you know there was rules and regulations around it. That being said, brothel workers don't tend to make that much money and, you know, uh, things could be brutal at times or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so she hadn't started to hit a stride in enjoying what she was doing yet. Um, and so she would, you know, she would do that for a while and then try to get away from the brothel house or whatever. But it, it's a form of enslavement in that case. When you're sold to a right. place, you're responsible to be there. They're not going to let you go away. Plus you have to clear your own debt, your room and board debt and all that other kind of stuff. You're constantly incurring debt at the same time that you're working. And so it's a vicious cycle that you get stuck in. Mm. And she would run away and get caught and brought back and stuff like that. But once she would start stealing from people, that's when they were like, let's get her out of here. She's going to ruin our reputation. And that's why she would bounce around so much. Mm. Uh, so this act of being essayed at 14 has led to this version of her that she probably wasn't on her way towards until, until that happened. Mm. Uh, so at one point she ends up becoming sort of, um, an unlicensed sex worker, which one is illegal, um, and so if you're caught, you might spend a little bit of time in jail and stuff like that or whatever. Uh, but it also doesn't protect you from things like contracting STDs and all this other kind of stuff. And yeah. so she ends up getting syphilis. Um, she does do some treatments, but, you know, penicillin's not quite available yet. Mm. Um, there's different things like mercury and uh, some kind of silver strain, something, whatever uh, thing that they would give people. Uh, but in Japan, also, they would treat through herbs and uh, onsen, which are hot springs. Uh, so okay. you might spend like a month in an onsen and basically just like, you know, boiling your <laughs> plopping you in a hot spring and hoping you boiling the the, <laughs> the disease away. Um, can't say if that actually happened. I'm not sure if it got rid of the disease, but it certainly made people feel healthier and stuff like that. Onsen is a very big part of Japanese culture. And uh, and so, I mean, even like now, if I were to go to onsen today, there's literally onsen I can't enter because... I have tattoos. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so, that's the same with like gyms and all sorts, isn't it? Like you can't mm -hmm. go in. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So tattoos are still very taboo mm. in Japan and um, they're usually associated with Yakuza. And yeah. so if um, it, it's, it's incorrect to say that someone sees you with a tattoo and they assume you're Yakuza, but there was a period of time in which that would have been the yeah. case. Okay. And so um, there's some onsen you can't even go into, but anyways, she would go to onsen to try to cure the syphilis or whatever. And uh, she eventually gets it under control enough to be able to go back to work and stuff like that. And so she ends up being kind of taken in by a series of men 
that um, are supposed, you know, basically like you're, you're mine right now. So I'm going to pay your room and board and I'm going to do all this or whatever. Uh, one in particular, or one of her early people that she ends mm. up with, she, she wants him to leave his wife and marry her. And he's like, no, I'm not going to do that. Um, and so she's like, well then fuck you. And she moves on <laughs> and she, st <laughs> she stumbles upon, and there's no question about whether or not she was in love or anything like that. It was more of a question of like her just wanting to be cared for and not have to worry about anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. but he didn't satisfy her sexually. And she, by this point has started to really enjoy sex and, um, develops a reputation of being insatiable. Like, men can't keep up with her. So the one that she wanted to marry, he ends up later on when this court case ends up happening, he does get called and he was like, shoot, he calls her strong. And what he means by strong is that she had an appetite. <laughs> and he's like, she wasn't satisfied if we didn't do it like three or four times a day. And she also wouldn't allow me rest unless I held her private parts while we slept and stuff like that. Like she was always on basically. Okay. And, uh, and he said, and after a couple, he's like, it was great at first, but after a couple of weeks, like I'm fucking exhausted. And then she wants me to marry her. And so he's quoted as like calling her a slut and all the other derogatory things or whatever. M meanwhile, it's like, bro, yeah. <laughs> you're paying for it. So you're one too. Uh, but you know, <laughs> patriarchy. Uh, so yeah, so like, uh, yes, <laughs> the, the so she ends up leaving him and she ends up partnering up with this, this, uh, other man who, who was sort of like a, um, how would I, how would I call him? He's like a, he was like a professor and things like that at first, but then he ends up, um, wanting to get into politics. So he would do sort of like, gosh, what's the equivalent of it? Uh, you know, like a local politics type of thing, like mm -hmm. in the hopes that he would eventually move up into the ranks or whatever. But uh -huh. um, but because it's it's socially acceptable for a married man to have a, a yeah. courtesan or yeah. um, or, you know, a kept woman or something like that, um, he ends up taking her on. And mm -hmm. uh, his name is uh, Gomo Oren, I think. Om Omaya. I believe mm -hmm. Omaya is his name. And, okay. you know, he's he's an older guy. He's got little glasses. He's not hot. <laughs> um, but, you know, he's he's going to care for her. He's going to pay for her bills and stuff like that or whatever. He's not going to satisfy her sexually in any way, shape or form. So she asks for an extension to be able to to partner with other men. And he's like, nah. <laughs> and she's like, oh, OK. Um, so she would just like bounce on him every so often because she needed her. Um, he wasn't putting it down. So she needed to go find other people, put it down. Um, but then he ends up telling her, like, you know, you'll be you can be financially independent if we put you through an apprenticeship at a restaurant. You can eventually own your own restaurant. I'll help support you through all of that. Um, and uh, mm. and then, you you know, you don't have to do this anymore and stuff like that. And she, she was like, all right. All right. Fine. Because uh, she gets syphilis again. He ends up paying for her sure. to go to an onsen yeah. for like another month or whatever. Like she's Occupational hazard. You know what I'm saying? Uh, mm -hmm. So he gets her cared for enough. She's back at it. And he's like, let's stop this. Let's put you in this apprenticeship and stuff like that. So she he um, he arranges for her to end up at a restaurant as a apprentice. The Yoshidaya restaurant so it's owned by um a couple a kichizo ishida and his wife mm -hmm. and kichizo he ain't shit <laughs> at the end of the day he ain't shit uh his wife is managing the whole th operation on her own and he's a massive womanizer and stuff like that so sometimes he gets a little flirty with the waitresses and shit like that and so mm -hmm. sada catches his eye 
Um, and I've seen different resources that were like the, the wife also maybe had a predilection towards younger men, you know, okay. and stuff like that. So it may have been the case that they were both like, we're in this marriage as a business contract, which mm. is what a lot of marriages were back in yeah. the day. And like, you have your fun, I have my fun, but like, yeah. let's just keep it all clean or whatever. The problem is, is I'm just going to call him Kichi because that was his nickname is what, what um, he was referred to. The problem is that Kichi couldn't keep it hidden. So it was okay. like always out there or whatever. And, um, and so Sada catches his eye as, as an apprentice and they end up just starting to fuck at the restaurant in the side rooms. Okay. Making all kind of racket, having the, the local restaurant assigned geisha playing music for them and stuff like that. The maids would come in and out and clean and they wouldn't stop. <laughs> Everybody knew what was going on and they found their sexual match in each other. Okay. They end up just going wild for each other. And so uh, uh, Ishida and Abe, Sada and Kichi, they end up going to, we would call them a tea house, but it's like a love motel, you know, like a place you can rent by the hour or the day. Yeah. Um, so they end up going to one of these and they set off on this sexual spree where it's like four days in a row, two weeks and stuff like that or whatever. And they're going at each other all day, every day, nonstop. And later she'll describe, she's like, I, I can't tell you what it was about him, but I can't say there's anything wrong with him. He wasn't well endowed. He wasn't the hottest person in the world. He wasn't okay. unattractive though, but he knew how to do it and we did it <laughs> and it was the shit. Like that was, okay. that was the thing. She was like, he was just her match and he had mm. as much of an insatiable diet for it as she did. Um, they also, while being together, discovered they shared some kinks. And I don't know if this is something that Kichi was already doing or if being with Sada brought it out in them or whatever. Mm. But they ended up experimenting with asphyxiation okay. and um, and stuff like that. And, uh, and, you know, pain elements and stuff like that, too. Mm. And, um, mm. and then after two weeks, only two weeks she's hooked. She's like, this is it. We're in love. You're mine. You got to mm. meet your wife and we're going to do this stuff. Um, and he was like, um, cute, but <laughs> I can't leave my wife. Cause like the restaurant and shit yeah. like that, like I won't have any money and all this other kind of stuff. He's like, but you know, you and me, yes, this is going to keep going. Mm -hmm. But you know, he'd run out of money and then he'd have to go back to work for a little while. And really him going back to work was like in the morning, he would go and get the fish. <laughs> There was an ill <laughs> restaurant. Um, and and then other than that, like the wife did everything. So when he keeps bouncing for these little mm. sexual rampages for, for days on end, I don't know who's picking up the fish at this point for the restaurant, but wifey is holding down the restaurant. So he would show back up, get a little bit more money, and then him and um, uh, Sada would end up at another love motel and stuff like mm -hmm. that. And, and mind you, this love spree only lasts about a month. And mm. it's like two weeks here it's a couple days off four days yeah. here whatever and she is starting to experience for the first time in her life jealousy she does not like the idea that he has to return back mm. to his wife even understanding that they they weren't hot for each other they were just married she but she knew he would have to perform husbandly duties on occasion and okay. she wasn't about that she could not <laughs> stand the thought of him having another partner uh one of their nights out they end up going to a play in which um a geisha takes a knife to her lover um, and stabs him or whatever. And she's like, hmm, ideas, ideas. 
<laughs> and so she ends up pawning off some of her kimono uh, so that she can buy a kitchen knife. And kimono are very expensive. They can get you some good things. And also knives in Japan are very yeah. expensive. So yeah, yeah. To, to sell off a kimono so that you can buy a knife might sound weird to Western ears, but you don't understand knife culture in Japan. Yeah. Like, especially like kitchen knife culture is. Yeah. These are insanely expensive things or whatever. And so she gets herself a nice little kitchen knife. And um, uh, as they're in one of their little love motels things, she pulls a knife on him. And she says, like, you're going to, like, she kind of puts it at his dick. And she's like, you're going to use this on somebody else, aren't you? Or whatever. And she's like, I'll, I'd rather cut it off than let you use it again. And he's like, of course you would. Taking a, yeah. He's like taking it back at first. But then he's like, okay, okay. I can get into this. And so they start incorporating. <laughs> they started, and this is where I'm, I'm supposed to be today. terrified, but it's kind of sexy. You know, it's kind of sexy, right? Like okay. the crazy bitches are the hottest ones kind of a thing. So he was like at first nervous. And then after a while, he's like, all right, let's get into it. Let's go. Mm. So this is where the kink is starting to set in of where like they're matching each other's um, oh. kink adventureness adventure yeah and it's like i see you and i raise you almost yeah it? that's basically yeah, what's wow. happening yeah and so um so one night in particular she is strangling him during sex or whatever but she they go for like a two-hour session and non-stop with the exception of like however much she needs to let up so that he can breathe and stuff like that she's keeping it going and it's so strong that after that two hours, his face muscles freeze in a contorted ah, kind of O face of pain situation. <laughs> okay. So they call the doctor <laughs> and the doctor's like, it's going to take you a couple weeks for your face to go back to normal, bro. Like stop choking each other out. Here's some pain <laughs> medication. Sleep it off <laughs> until your face gets better. Um, <laughs> and so... And so take like, a cold shower, bro. Pain <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, um, they're like, like take a break off of each other. Calm down. Mm -hmm. Maybe not choky choky for two hours, maybe choky choky for like a few minutes and then calm the <laughs> fuck down, you know? Um, so they, the, you know, the advice is take the sleeping, this pain slash sleeping pill, sleep it off until you feel better. And then just like proceed with caution. Um, so they're still locked up in one of these love hotels and stuff like that. And, um, He's probably in and out of consciousness throughout this time, but she's still doing work. <laughs> you know, why not? Um, she's insatiable. She it. wants it. He wants it, whatever. And at one point in his groggy sleepiness, he says to her, you're going to you're going to wrap your sash around me again when I sleep, aren't you? And she says, probably. <laughs> and he says, uh, oh, when I fall asleep, basically, you know, and she's like, yeah, probably. And he's like, if you do it, don't stop because it it's so painful when you're done. And she takes that as, is he telling me to kill him? Yeah. Or is he just in so much pain? He don't know what he's saying. And Ooh. since she's already been contemplating not letting his dick touch anybody else, she's like, hmm. So, you know, more a little bit more lovemaking and some sleepy cuddle time or whatever. At 2 a.m., she wakes up and she goes, no, I think he definitely wanted me to kill him because he wants to be with me forever, but he can't leave his wife. 
So she uh-huh. takes her obe sash, you know, the, mm-hmm. the big belt in front of the, on, on the kimono, and she, you know, she goes for it. And he dies. And then for the next several hours, she's mm-hmm. laying with the body, she's cuddling the body and everything like that. And then she gets the bright idea to keep the most important part of him that gave her the most vivid memories. Uh-huh. Rough, quote. Rough translated quote. <laughs> uh, so she removes him of his uh, penis and testicle. A uh, both, which is interesting. She takes sure. it, she takes she takes it all. Okay. And with the blood from that, she writes on a sheet and on his um thigh, like Sada and Kichi are alone together forever. Wow. And then she carves into his left arm, like Sada and Kichi or Sada, something like that. It's whatever it is, it's like mm. an ownership thing or whatever. Yeah. And she continues to rest with him for a little while or whatever. And then she realizes it's time to get up and go because things are going to get wild soon. So she puts his underwear on underneath her kimono. Mm. She takes a magazine and wraps his penis and testicle in the magazine and tucks it into her kimono sleeve. Mm -hmm. You know, says her final goodbyes, loves and kisses and all that other kind of stuff. And then she leaves the hotel room and she tells the, the serving staff, please do not. Um, interrupt Ashita. He needs a lot of rest, <laughs> and everybody's oh, like, yeah. "Yeah," because we've been <laughs> hearing y'all for weeks, so we get it. So they left him alone for hours and hours, and during that time, um, she is contemplating like what her next step is, and her, yeah. her plan was basically to go up to this mountain with his penis and kill herself but only after she had satisfied her like final moments with this prized possession part of him cool, uh, cool, so cool, she does yeah cool, cool. <laughs> so she does a couple <laughs> weird things like you know she goes to the to the picture show she does a little bit of shopping oh she took the penis on a date first yes it's pictures. with her in a magazine wrapper in her kimono the whole time and and my it's not just that she's carrying dead body parts on her person mm. this is like three old three day old fucking parts right <laughs> there's like bathing <laughs> you know like this oh is like God. they were already at it for days unwashed then she cuts mm. it off now it's mm. dead and it's just a whole bunch of that's nasty yes yeah <laughs> yes it's a lot of fragrances i'm assuming <laughs> Uh, so she ends up renting a hotel room under an assumed name or whatever. And um, uh, I, I forget why she doesn't end up doing the mountain thing. I think she tries to figure out how to get up there and she realizes there's not a good place for her to jump or something like that. Okay. Um, but she ends up checking into uh, a hotel. And by this point, it's out. The 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 way, the the hotel staff finally went into the room because they hadn't heard mm-hmm. of people from them and everything like that. They discovered the gruesome thing. Police get called in. And so now there is a, a semi-nationwide um, search for Sada and with the assumed murder of, of um, Kichi. Mm. And so there's like sightings of her everywhere. You know, people become obsessed with finding the killer geisha oh, or whatever. And so it's so bad that in some places where they think she is, 
a full blown stampede happens because everybody's trying to get her. She wasn't there, but someone yeah. just <laughs> she, she was there. Uh, but for whatever reason, um, she she checks into this hotel trying to figure out what her next step is because the the mountain thing's not going to work. She gets into this room and it's she was like, okay, I'll just hang myself. But the the um, room's wa walls ceiling walls are too low, so she knows she's not going to be successful there. So she goes and meets up with her her ex. Her ex dude, um, uh, Gomo Amaya. Amaya. Is this glasses Amaya. guy? The little glasses guy, the one okay. who wants to be a politician. And yep. she she keeps apologizing to him while they're while they're together. And he thinks she's apologizing because she she threw up the deuces and just disappeared on him or whatever. <laughs> um, and, but what she's actually apologizing to him for, without telling him until later, is that um, you know basically when this gets out, the association with me is going to ruin your life and your mm. freedom political career is gone uh, because mm. it's very much a Japanese thing. Like it's not Omaya's fault at all that she <laughs> ends up killing somebody, but because he had had sex with her too, guilt by, you know, like perf yeah. uh, uh, societal guilt by association, not, they're not accusing him of the murder or anything yeah. like that there. She's just tainted by the association. Sure. And, uh, and I think she might get a little bit of money from him or something like that or whatever, but she ends up changing hotel rooms at that point to a bigger, a higher ceiling room or whatever. And so she's like, okay, um, I'm going to say goodbye to his plots and then I'm going to go ahead and hang myself. Uh, so she okay. proceeds to have her last romantic time with his bits. She says mm -hmm. she starts by trying to put, you know, put it in her mouth and things like that. And then, um, and then she, because she was trying to prepare it for the next stage, uh -huh. which like, it's it's not attached to the parts that make it do what you yeah. need it to do. But okay, yeah. let's start with the mouth. Uh, so then she does try to like insert it, and uh, it's not working. So she yeah. like rearranges it around and stuff like that, and tries to do it again. It's still not working. So she just had to basically admire it instead. Um, oh, okay, you know, yeah. You know, after mm -hmm. that, it's like you know, I was looking at the the scrotum and the penis and I was just like, okay, I love you. And you know, we'll be together forever. And da, 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 da. Um, she's not claiming that she killed him out of, out of jealousy. She says it goes beyond that. It was that her love for him had become so intense that um, she thought the best way to pay tribute to the love really was to kill him at the yeah. height of the, his sexual happiness, essentially. And then she would follow him within a week and, you know, they would be together forever uh -huh. in the afterlife. Uh, so, you know, whatever. Uh, it's not really working. Oh, I And I, I didn't touch on the fact that she kind of was like a bit of a raging alcoholic a after the, the sexual assault when she was younger. So um, in these times between the days that Kichi and Sada could be together, um, mm. whenever he had to go back to work and stuff, she'd go on these drinking oh she was like on a mad like bender that. right yeah okay. and then they'd get back together and she'd be happy again and, and yeah. mind you this is like a month period of time so it's yeah. like a couple days here and there she'd go on these benders uh yeah. so after he was killed she did go on a bit of a bender too and um right. and then she tried to have her final goodbye uh with his pots <laughs> and stuff and then she just starts sleeping so she just sleeps oh. for days like oh. just sleep, sleep and by this point Someone gets suspicious that that's Sada, so they reach mm. out to 
a um, the police, the police come and check the, the register and they see a gender neutral name, which wasn't mm. super duper common back in the days. And so they're like, mm, OK. Um, and they mentioned that she wanted a different room and all this other kind of stuff. So the police go and knock on the door. But as they're going to knock on the door, what they see into the room beforehand mm. is a woman that's just like dead asleep in the middle of the afternoon. And they're like, that's kind of weird. Like naps aren't a thing. Um, so <laughs> she wakes up and um, she says to them something to the effect of no need to be so formal. I'm the Sada Abe that you're looking for. They don't even say shit. She just goes, she just, you know, like this is who I am and stuff. And at first they don't believe her until she takes out his penis. <laughs> and they're the like, okay, I guess yeah. you're it. So they arrest her. <laughs> And as they're trying to take her to the police station, a yet another kind of stampede sort of happens of just like mm. people wanting to see her. And there's photos of her, which I will show you that um, where she's like hella smiling. <laughs> and it's not like she's enjoy. It's hard to say because she's really reclusive for the rest of her mm. life. So it's strange to think of like the attention. But she was in this like weirdly blissful state of like the knowledge that her love will never be with someone else and he's entirely hers. Whatever happens to her next doesn't matter because yeah. one, she, she did want to die after, which would have been a very Japanese thing to do. Your, your lover's yeah. dead. It's, you know, let me wrap up some affairs and then I'm going to follow you. Mm -hmm. um, and stuff like that. So she really wasn't tripping. She mm. wanted to die next. Um, yeah. But she's like, smiling at all the photos and stuff and even some of the photos of her with the police even some of them are smiling too oh. she had this air about her that was a bit infectious and you just kind of dug her whatever it was she and that wasn't just the syphilis that was infectious yeah like right yeah <laughs> i mean she's just like you know smiley hello smiley wow. so in the trial and this is this is <laughs> this more than the crime itself makes me go what the fuck japan during the trial, you know, they're digging into her past with former lovers and, and all this other kind of stuff or whatever. And, you know, like I said, the, the first guy that she had wanted to marry at some point, he called her like a slut and everything like that because she was too insatiable for him mm -hmm. um, and everything like that. And the judge in this case is quoted as saying, throughout this trial, I became very aroused many times. Okay. But had... <laughs> but had assured the Japanese people that despite being aroused, he wasn't going to let it influence his decision. Oh, he could still be impartial. Okay. He could still be impartial, but essentially he's just sitting behind the bench, you know, yeah, rock hard and excited about this beautiful killer geisha. It like, it, it's such a strange thing. Like between the, the sex and violence elements of different parts of this and then yeah. literally like the the law being like that's hot <laughs> you know, like so bizarre so they go through um the trial um he said a lot of the yeah the judge said like a lot of the details in the case um made him aroused but he was still taking it with the utmost seriousness what he wanted to avoid basically was to kill her and right. she was asking for the death penalty. But at this okay. time, like the maximum penalty that she could get for the crime that she was tried for, which was murder and mutilation, mm. uh, was 10 years. And she was like, unacceptable. I want, you know, I want you to take me all the way out. Yeah. The, the judge ends up 
only sentencing her to, I think it's six years or seven years, but she only stays in prison for five years before she's released. So very similar to the demon midwife story. The, yeah. the, the, the punishment times are not what we would be expecting in the Western world. Mm. Um, you know, there, there's an expectation of a debt to society that once paid, you know, and if you're meeting these criteria, you can be released and everything's, you know, mm. assumed fine going forward. Yeah. Um, and so one of the things that she wanted to make very clear after the trial and everything like that is, is she says, uh, and I'm going to use, I'm going to read this one because it's a quote. Uh, the thing I regret the most about this incident is that I have come to be misunderstood as some kind of sexual pervert. There has never been a man in my life like Ashita. There were men I liked and with whom I slept with without accepting money, but none made me feel the way I did towards him. And so because she was still like hardcore on the Ashita was special. Yeah. Um, the, the, the news media took it and meant like, so there was all this uh, uh, stuff about like, he must've been super well endowed and, <laughs> da, 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 and all this kind of stuff. Like She's it was like, a big well, part of the press. Yeah. And so both her and the, the police officer who first received his um, penis mm -hmm. said, nah, that shit was hella average. Like it wasn't anything <laughs> special. Like to look at, it wasn't anything spectacular. And she assured people, she's like, it was his skill set. That is the difference. She's like, yes, he wasn't the most endowed person. He wasn't the most attractive person, but to him or to her, she had nothing to complain about. And then once the sex happened, it was like, all right, okay. <laughs> you know, uh, she, she just penis ends up in um, a museum for a period of time. Excellent. And then nobody knows why or how or when, but eventually it just fucking disappears. So that oh, means yes. somebody, which I'm going to make this assumption based off of like historical things that we just know happens. Mm. Some aristocrat definitely has that jar. <laughs> Someone paid some money for this yeah. sensational penis and bought it from the museum or something. Yeah. All under the table. Totally. And it's just like somebody's inheritance like thing now like it's just in somebody's maybe it's like home. in their you know sex dungeon and they're hoping that it'll it'll somehow like, give it, like it helps kind of like powers. you're gonna get some or yeah <laughs> yeah like um, never mind so, eating ground up seahorses this is what you need this right? is what you need you just yeah. need a powerful dick in a jar and formaldehyde <laughs> sure. in your in your sex dungeon you go all uh, right. so she yeah she goes into prison she she under good um uh, what's a good behavior or whatever. She ends up getting uh -huh. released in five years instead of the six or seven that she was um, given. And then she ends up kind of returning to that restaurant life or whatever um, on and off throughout the, her life, you know, she tried to avoid notoriety in any way, shape or form. Um, but, you know, the story would surface again and, and new, you know, people would come and talk to her and stuff like that or whatever. So she eventually says, uh, she's going to tell her own story and then that's going to be the end of it because she doesn't want to have to keep talking about it or whatever. Um, but she, she also just really wanted to set it straight that like, this was done out of love. This was not an act of, um, jealousy. This wasn't a crime of passion. It was yeah. thought out. She had planned it about a week beforehand. Um, she, she loved him with such an intensity that she thought that the answer to that problem, because they couldn't be together all the time was I'm going to take him. And then I'm going to take myself like, and that mm -hmm. was going to be the thing. Uh, by the time she does 
her prison time, she says she, she, she had achieved a space where she didn't want to die anymore, which is why she didn't kill herself after she got released. She's like, but she just didn't want to have this reputation of being this sexual pervert and not that it was this, this actual love story in her case. So she does end up writing a memoir, which I cannot find an English translation of. I can find like bits and pieces translated, but not the book itself or whatever, in which she kind of details her life and and the passion that she had with Ishida. So if you're thinking then, of memoirs of a geisha, it's not that. It's not that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's not a, it's not that. Uh, but she's she she moves to um this uh like small prefecture. Uh, Ibaraki, and she ends up being like the mistress of a another rich man or whatever. In her memoir, she only calls him Y, just the letter mm -hmm. Y kind of thing, mm -hmm. um, because she doesn't want to um, exploit him or anything okay. like that or whatever. Um, but she says she called him a very serious man, and um, and he didn't know who she was, uh, you know, in terms of the historical record because she assumed a new name after she left mm -hmm. and everything like that. But, you know, like I said, someone would find her eventually and, and whatever. So the mm -hmm. family of the, of this man ends up finding out she's Sada and they insist that he breaks it off with her. And so he right. does. And so she's, she's out there again, like, you know, needing to mm -hmm. find another situation. Um, she, so she writes this book. She even details story about why in the book and, and things like that. Um, and then after a while, she just disappears. So sometime in 1971 to 1973 or so, uh, she's about, I think, 60. Uh, she's born. Oh, no. Yeah. Late 60s, uh, early okay. 70s. Um, she's born in 1905. She ends up just disappearing. Mm. And so the speculation is that she there's a couple different stories is one. She may have become like a nun in um, a Buddhist temple somewhere in the mountains. Mm -hmm. uh, she may have finally got to that mountain that she wanted to die you know, mm -hmm. on or a different mountain. Um, she could have walked into any of the, you know, there's various places throughout Japan that like suicides are known to to take place at or whatever. Right. Um, whatever she did, she did it in secret and in private because no one ever discovered her body or anything like mm. that. Um, she could have just lived her life somewhere else and just, you know, was under the radar. But, um, but like the last known contact with her in like the press or something like that was like 1971 or whatever. And okay. um, they did an article with her. They took a photo of her and then she just walks off into the sunset. We never hear from her again. But in the time period from after she got out of prison to whenever she disappeared, she would pop up at different times of, of, of cultural significance. So she very similar to um, uh, Ishikawa, uh, mm sometimes she's viewed as like this sexual deviant and sometimes she's viewed as like the symbol of sexual freedom for women. Okay. So she becomes something like a cultural icon to yeah. Japanese women of just like taking an ownership of your sexuality. And, um, and so like, yeah, okay. So you, you killed the motherfucker, but it's fine because like <laughs> you owned your sexuality. Right. So mm. she does become this like um, folk hero to a degree. Mm like female sexual empowerment nice. uh, whether or not she liked that is kind of a mixed you know mm. review type of thing or whatever but like yeah. um i think it, again she didn't want to be she didn't want the sex to be the focus of her story she actually wanted yeah. love to be the, the focus of her story mm -hmm. and so years after she has died like or disappeared whatever ended up happening to it happening to her she just became this um you know folk hero that ended up in 
and like I said, manga and anime and different yeah. movies or whatever. There have been many movies made about their story, and some of them are, you know, border on the pornographic and, you know, mm -hmm. just focusing on that part. Some of them are yeah. like dr drama, sexual, emotional, erotic type movies or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and probably similar to Fulan, she's probably like, nah, I don't like these. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, you know, these aren't great. Um, yeah. They take away my agency, you know, stuff like that. But, yeah. Um, but again, because she'd become this cultural icon, her story had outgrown her yeah. reality, yeah. you know. And so, um, so yeah, that is the tale of Sada Abe and the murder of Kichizo Ishida. I got to say, love. if you'd asked me what I would have been talking about today, I'm not sure this would have been top of my list. But I really do love my job. <laughs> right? <laughs> it's I'm so very weird how much you about this. it. <laughs> and I just... You know, like what fascinates me about Sada is probably the same thing that made her this like symbol of sexual freedom in yeah. Japan is that the um, sex and sexuality is such a weirdly half repressed, half way mm -hmm. like here's all your kinks for everybody to know. Like it's, gonna, you know, yeah. it's a, a different vibe than like the puritanical Westernness yeah. and and you can really toe a line between being like a full blown sexual deviant or a fucking hero. Yeah. Like it's so bizarre. Yeah. Um, and, and mind you, like that's coming with me having like part of my culture existing in that plane too, yeah, even yeah, though yeah. I grew up in Japan. Um, so there's aspects of the story that like, I fucking get it, man. And then there's aspects <laughs> of it was like, it's still <laughs> that you killed somebody, you know, yeah. like. Um, how old was she when she killed him? Uh, so the murder happened in 1936, which was a year 36. after my grandmother was born. Um, so she would have been 31. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that's the other thing too. Like she had outgrown like the young geisha, yeah. you know, thing or whatever. Yeah. She was just like a, an older, mm -hmm. a spinster type, I guess you would might have thought of it because she wasn't married yet. And, um, you know, she just fell in love with this restaurateur. What was that cool thing we discovered? Was it called a thornback? A woman yes, so you can yeah. only be a spinster up to the age of like 21 or something. And then after that, if you're unmarried, you're, you're thornback. called a thornback. I, I, I definitely want to make a mug that says thornback. <laughs> um, in a weird way, and not to not to always bring people down in mentioning the loss of my husband, but like there's an element, I remember saying this, and it's probably terrible to say on online, but you know, <laughs> I keep doing shit like that. So whatever. <laughs> uh, in therapy years ago, like when Tris and I were having some issues, I remember saying like, cause the therapist was, you know, asking like, why don't you just break up? And I'm just like, I don't want to, I don't want this stuff happening, but like, he's my person. I want to, I want to stay with him. And I was like, in fact, it would be much easier for me if he died rather than us breaking up. And this was actually something that came up in therapy, <laughs> random, and and I've had two therapists say that is such a common thing that women in marriages say. Like the thought of their partner being out in the world, being happy after whatever pain that they caused them, I was like, you know, <laughs> you know, like right. And it's like I don't want to kill the person, but like I just yeah. it would be easier for me to not to know they weren't wandering around the planet, not with me, and I. I'll be honest, I had that feeling back then. Mind you, my life feels a little bit different now. My understanding of that experience yeah. is different now. Yeah. But like there's an element to her story that I kind of 
again, I wasn't going to kill my husband, but like, I get that thing that clicked in her brain that says like, it's weird. The parts of these stories that you, that you connect to that you, you know, if someone had said to you, uh, do you agree with this in a, in an abstract context, you know, you, you'd probably say like, no. And then you do no. find these tiny points, but it's humanity, isn't it? And it's, yeah. um, it, it's not unbelievable because it freaking happened, you know, and yeah. these are true emotions that these people have been through and they have had. And so why shouldn't somebody else also understand that or yeah. be able to, to meet them on that level, you know, even the if they might not enact the same way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I definitely would not have done anything yeah. remotely <laughs> similar to what she yeah. did. And yet like the feeling behind her motivation, yeah. You know, I don't not understand it, and yeah, it, yeah, to yeah. a degree, like again, uh, there's nothing about my such like it was never a point even in the darkest time <laughs> yeah. with Tristan that I was just like, you know what I'm gonna do? <laughs> yeah. I'm gonna honor the part of you, you know, like whatever. Because uh, people had asked her too, they're like, well, why didn't you take his head, or or uh, you know, why did you only take his penis? She's like, well, I couldn't just walk around with his head; it was gonna be inconvenient, oh, sure. and then everybody yeah. would know that I killed him, right? So she's like, I took the part of him that Which gave me the most venom. It was kind of handy that he was what how did she describe him but like average like uh, yeah just average just a regular old dick you know like it's just a regular old dick so you know maybe it's it a good job a you know he wasn't any uh grander yeah like i mean she's just holding this like wrapping <laughs> like it's not it's not it's just dick shaped that's all we should so, have given a warning um, at the beginning of this at the top of this episode for um any men listening because i just feel this is one of those like they're just gonna you know cross legs the whole way through um although i'm not sure that we have that many male listeners it might but, it might know. be more of a of a female audience or whatever but at the same time <laughs> like you know I, the cautionary tale aspect of this is like if you're out there messing around behind your wife yeah, but Maybe I want to know about, about his wife though in the restaurant. I'm kind of intrigued by her as a character. Too. I am too, and yeah. I, I've I've tried to dig in a little bit more because I only found like a couple references to her, and you mm. know because like the immediate picture you get is like this downtrodden poor wife who has to take care of this restaurant because her husband's oh. out there on the street. And then think I hear he's bossing it though, right? Because he she's might got be, this young right? guy possibly that she's with. Mm -hmm. She's running the business how she sees fit because if all he does is go and get the fish then i can live without that to be fair you know what I'm, so, yeah like now i get to be my own boss and uh you know literally have my cake and eat it so that i mean and you hear stories right. about this of like like um marriages that are um either outgrown the romance side of of things mm. or um or they're you know marriages of convenience marriages yeah of, or if it was of, arranged of, or yeah the range, like whatever the things, right? Like you're in the same social class, so you're yeah, yeah. bound to marry, but like you can still have your, you know, the yeah. fun on the side or whatever. And and the women who had more agency in those types of relationships, like especially when their men weren't like it's me or nobody, right? Yeah. Like yeah. he's distracted, you're distracted, yeah. everybody's good. But we know that at the end of the day, the restaurant has to survive. Yeah, like I get that. Mm. You know, and I, so the narrative I want to write for her because I couldn't find, you know, mm. I only found a couple references here and there. Yeah. Is the one of, you know, a woman that's in a marriage of, of convenience or whatever it is, um, mm. who has her own life and has her mm. own agency and has her own restaurant. Yeah. And, um, you know, I saw two different references, so I'm not clear on what was, what was true mm. of whether or not the restaurant survived long okay. after 
or mm. only for a little while after, because there's right. still the weird association thing that would have happened in oh, Japan. Yeah, okay, um, yeah. But if she was able to maintain it, then, you know, then her yeah. having a life of, um, yeah, okay. So like you're, I mean, and honestly, like, I mean, how many Regency era or, or whatever type stories you hear where like the husband dies and the woman's like, thank goodness that's yeah. over, oh you know, God. and they can yeah. just be, you yeah. know, live off whatever inheritance or whatever, blah, blah, blah. And I think this could have potentially been a version of that of where, you know, it's not ideal to for the world to know that, you know, you've been cheated on and things like that or whatever. But like in a society where it's expected that the men would have other partners, the thing yeah. is, is like th those are to be, you know, not seen and heard. They're just supposed mm -hmm. to be known about. Yeah. Um, this, you know, makes things a little bit more complicated because the association that Omaya had with Sada ruined his career and he he fell into obscurity. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's possible that that may have happened to to Ashita's wife as well. But mm -hmm. um, in my head, I write a narrative for her that she maintains her restaurant. She has her, her little yeah. young bucks on the side. Yeah. And, you know, she's she's getting it in. Um, yeah. That's so, yeah, I like I, I see the I, I see the inclination to make Sada uh, like a sexual freedom symbol. Mm. Yeah. Um, me as a person who is polyamorous or ethically non-monogamous and stuff like and that as long as everybody's on board i'm on board you know kind yeah. of a thing yeah or whatever and um and to be fair tris and i had entered into a companionship marriage marriage phase we weren't romantic anymore mm. um but we didn't want to be apart we were mm. our friendship prior to us getting together maintained its intensity all the way through our relationship so that even mm. when times were tough with us romantically our friendship was always fairly strong and while mm. there's definite shit in our relationship that i would rather have never have happened and ultimately would have rathered a romantic relationship um i i get that like your relationship isn't dictated by these expectations of society mm -hmm. and so like you know I'm I'm open to people having multiple partners as long as everybody's on board and everybody's informed and everybody's kept, you know, yeah. safe, you know, sexual health is, is safe and things yeah. like that. So there's no aspect of the story where that's concerned that bothers me. What bothers me is maybe the combination of why do we turn these murderers into celebrities? Yeah. And was there another way <laughs> that she could have maintained her love without being concerned that he had to reluctantly fuck his wife? Yeah. You know what I'm I saying? Mean, because did he? I mean, did that, I mean, was that a definite, was that, that that, that would have to happen? Because I don't if, know. if it was a marriage sort of of convenience for the business sake or whatever, or they'd grown apart or whatever, then do they even have to do that just because they're married? I mean, um, Maybe yeah, because I don't so know if they had kids. Really yeah, yeah. Okay, so maybe if they were thinking we have to have a kid, um, you know, to to keep up inheritance and stuff like that. Um, but the same thing but, could have happened that happened to Sada's father, right? Is like they could have just adopted oh, yes, someone that adopted was apprenticed, you know, yes, and that was a common thing. thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and that's so also something that you could to. tie to the um the uh you know the weeding thing i told you about mm -hmm. on the on the oh, last yeah, one yeah. where like yeah. you know if someone 
if it wasn't like an explosion of babies, but they could have mm. potentially taken on yeah. somebody else's baby yeah. to help, you know, that family. Mm -hmm. And then they would have their kid yeah. and they wouldn't have had to, to do it. Mm. Um, the other problem is like, you know, Ashita could have eventually gotten tired of her being mm. the only partner. And then maybe he would have yeah. been out on the streets again. And so she was preventing yeah. any future woman basically yes. from possessing yeah. I mean, what I, she the thing is, possessed. I, I think that I get, um, you know, I've got no problem, you know, if people are consenting and if he and his wife, like they knew that that's what they were up to. And so this is what he was doing and that was what he was into. And, you know, they were doing it together. They were both into it. I think I think the it's the murder and mutilation is where I really draw the that's line. That's the bit. That's the that, only you know. bit, you know. <laughs> that, because that's, like, really, that's the crux of the issue. That, that's it. Because like in my case, in my marriage, Tristan had a kink I didn't have. I tried to be gully as a partner and participate. I laughed the entire way through. It wasn't, <laughs> oh, no. it wasn't kink shaming. It was Tristan shaming because I <laughs> could not take him serious oh, in God. this particular act. So when he found people who could perform that act for him, I was like, thank goodness. And actually, <laughs> I'm quite friendly with one of his most recent partners. And we talked about that since he passed and stuff. And she's just like, it's so weird to have this conversation <laughs> with you. Yeah, because like she could tell I really wasn't bothered by that thing. Like the physical thing didn't bother me. The yeah, honesty yeah. and stuff like that. That's where I would. This have is my the issue. thing. Everybody's different. So, so why should it? Like don't, yeah. we shouldn't apply. Like you say, you shouldn't apply society's general rule if that's not mm -hmm. how you feel or he feels or she does yeah. or these other people, and you're all like on board with that. That's I just really don't understand why people have so much judgment because. Yeah. Okay, look, that's not for me. That's not how I want to live it's my not life. For me, that's, right? that's not my thing. But that's okay because I'm gonna do my yeah. thing, you're gonna do your thing, you're and everybody's just gonna get on with their shit and be happy. But just yeah. don't chop someone's dick off at the end of just it. Just don't do that that's part. What I'm asking. Yeah. <laughs> it's quite clear sometimes who has told this story that's meant that mm -hmm. it's passed down. Like we were saying, like, is it through the Western lens that the story's being told and therefore we're getting this kind of perspective on it? Because if it's probably from a male point of view that this story is being told, that's why we don't know about this character that we both instantly want to know about and connect with. Yeah. Um, and that is because it's probably the first instances of the telling of this tale have been from yeah. men. And that's um, that's why that part has been kind of weeded out because she's just become a little bit irrelevant, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, ju I just think that's super interesting because always what we're trying to do with this show, obviously, is is look through our particular lens, which is hoping mm -hmm. to find and identify these characters or even just the story as a whole that isn't going to get talked about yeah. in other places. Because because again, who we heard from are the past men that she had partnered mm -hmm. with. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't see much about, you know, anything related to her. Mm -hmm. and, and, that, and that's interesting. And then the other part is I just wanted to tell the story from a lens that, um, a combination because the other parts is not just like the exotification of a Japanese person, but mm. like the the kink shaming. Like there's I've heard some where people are literally like laughing through it in a way where they're just like, this is so twisted. And all they're talking about, you know, I'm I'm all we're I'm doing that in quotation fingers, is like, you know, a little bit of choking until it got intent, right? Cause like mm -hmm. it started off mm -hmm. as just like a a little yeah. thing in their thing and that is again not necessarily a, a bad thing or a danger if you're doing it carefully and you know stuff like that and you're paying attention to signs and all this kind of stuff 
There's it's no good us telling that story and going, oh my God, at that point. Right. Because it's like, well, you know, okay, that happens. Come on, let's move with the times, people, you know. Yeah. And this like, is old mm-hmm. times too. It was happening then as well. Yeah, um, like yeah. kink is kink and it's like, yeah, it's, it's been around. present for exactly. ages or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. So if you can get past the 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 immaturity or the, or the giggles yeah. about it and really just break it down to an action of, I have a partner who's interested in this thing. I yeah. want to... As, as a loving partner or, you know, whatever, yeah. I want to be gully for what they're into. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that you cross lines that you're not comfortable with. And I yeah, have that yeah, own experience yeah. in my thing. Like I said, mm-hmm. he had a kink I didn't have. I yeah. tried to be gully. I laughed all the way through it. And it wasn't satisfying for him either because I wasn't yeah. a natural at it. Yeah. You know, because if I was natural at it, it everything would have gone smoothly. Sure. But because yeah. I didn't have the inclination and I couldn't take him serious mm-hmm. in the moment, it wasn't good for us. But then so, these guys, they found, they both then shared that. They found their, pre- yeah. yeah. Exactly, yeah. So that's actually a beautiful part of this crazy twisted oh. story, right? Is like these two yeah. people, despite their their situations, were able to find someone who matched them Yeah, yeah. in and this particular in way. way. Yeah. And I can understand that intensity in the early stages can mm. be probably mm. huge, right? Yeah. Um, you know, if he had gotten a chance to live, it could have petered out after a month or two. Yeah, and he, that's you know. what's so interesting is every time, because you said that a couple of times, like it was only a month. And I was so shocked. The fact, because I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Because I was into, in my head, I was like, yeah. we're having these romps and these days and weeks. Yeah. And I was sort of imagining this like six months or so. Um, so that is so yeah. intense. Because so they're but in the like, intense, the intense yeah. like infatuation zone. Yeah. Yeah. But um, and you know, like I'm not a person who falls in love easy, but mm. I fall in, in certain cases in which I've had that heavy infatuation, it comes hard and it comes fast. And I'm just sitting here yeah. just like in it. Right. And then <laughs> one thing happens and phew, it goes immediately away. <laughs> <That's> so funny. <laughs> Whereas like with I'm Tristan, <laughs> he falls in love quick and he keeps it up for long periods of time. And uh. so like imagining a person like that, like mm-hmm. uh, for Sada, it probably was the case that in that moment, she was in such intensity. You could not have convinced her it was intense love. Yeah. And then she did prison for five years. And when she got out, she's like, you know, I still want to live. But she had time, you know, yeah. she had time to let the infatuation fall. Mm-hmm. Mind you, she killed him in that process of that. But, you know, because she had time after the intensity went away, she, but she still maintains that she didn't regret the action. She regretted yeah. the reputation. Whereas him, had he lived, if mm. he got tired of it or he just was ready to move on or it was too fucking intense um you know he may not have ever had that kind of intense of a connection again or he may have had tons of intense connections again you know what i'm saying like we just the part that's wrong is that instead of letting it be he was killed and yeah because you don't know you're right if it had sort of petered out and then and then it or if he'd found that with someone else or even better or you know more or different or whatever then then it, it wouldn't remain some kind of love story it yeah. would just be a you know notch on the bedpost effectively yes. of time and um, if like he petered out had an intensity with someone else and then she was like oh hell no and she took them both out then she becomes yes. a different kind of murderer yes. in that yes, respect too true. right yeah so like i get it that we're equally caught up in the intensity of the infatuation alongside of her in the story yeah. which is why it well i'm saying we as like the royal we um yeah. 
you know, there's people who are like, I get it. I understand her love and da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And so that's why she becomes a celebrity and, a, and like a sexual freedom hero. Uh, but, you know, for other people, they might just be like, that bitch crazy. Fair. <laughs> I mean, both, both cases. Okay. You have your opinion. <laughs> yeah. But then it's like you say, talking about um, how they become a celebrity then is really, yeah. is. And so, because obviously I actually didn't know this story. Sorry, I've said, obviously it's not obvious. Haven't said that to you yet. Um, <laughs> I did not know this story. I wasn't aware of this character in pop culture either. Um, I hadn't, mm. you know, come across it in that way. So um because there's this celebrity and because it's been retold and then there's a mm -hmm. kind of a thing where these stories, they sort of snowball, don't they? And they build. And obviously mm -hmm. you're saying they're to told in sort of different ways. But is it generally negative or positive or does it depend on who you ask? Still? That's the time period depending okay. on it. Right. So like early on, like during yeah. the trial and the case, I would yeah. say you have a split demographic of people who like are so caught up with her her beauty and the intensity mm. that they're kind of into it because of that. The yeah. same way, like we see like here in judge. modern day, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like the judge. Um, or like people that are so terrified by the thought. So I can imagine like a lot of men being like, this is wild and I can't, yeah. I, I can't vibe yeah. with it. Where a lot of women would be like, she took my life into her own hand. Yeah. And then a little bit of time goes by and it's just kind of this tale of a random prostitute that, that killed a dude, okay. right? Because the patriarchy yeah. picks in and you just, picks apart the story. And mm -hmm. then when somebody decides, I want to view this, this story from a lens of sexual freedom. And then those mm -hmm. articles start to change, like shift the culture yeah. around that where they're like, yeah, yeah. So I would say that in the later part of her life, the story was predominantly a, a, a symbolic sexual freedom hero. Mm -hmm. Like, mm -hmm. yeah, she did a bad thing, but yeah. you know, yeah. that kind of element to it and um, i would say that um that would have stayed except that some of the the portrayals specifically of the sada abe story versus like mm. a, a a version of the essence of the story being told in yeah. pop culture but like sada abe stories they're trash and problematic because mm. it's so much easier to tell the story of like the wanton woman than to to get into the nuance and and like i think what we've discovered with all of the stories we've told so far is that like the murders aren't always cut and dry it's not always yeah, that this cool. is a psychopath with no yeah, feelings yeah. it sometimes is a person that under any other circumstance would have been mm -hmm. a regular ass person yeah, yeah. but the intensity of the moment or the mm -hmm. the feelings or the stacking of abuse yeah. or whatever is the reason why they do this thing and in that case i want to i want to remain sympathetic mm -hmm. to the yeah. degree that i can yeah. and then acknowledge the crime and the thing and so like in her case sure. yeah i would say that 